Hi, and welcome to the podcast, You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is a solo episode after having done my very first solo episode a couple of weeks ago, uh, about five weeks ago now, I got a lot of requests to do another one, so I hope I can back up my previous solo episode with something that is not massively disappointing. It is currently the 31st of July, I'll put this up today, that means that tomorrow I get on a train and I go to Edinburgh. Now, Edinburgh is a thing. It's a it's a real thing. Many of you will know what it is. The Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, it is huge. You're competing with thousands and thousands of other acts. You are trying to make a name for yourself. The number of people who make a profit in that environment is very low. The number of people who have audience you know, of any size in that environment is very low so it's a real it's a really harsh environment and and I love it I love it I love it and maybe that's just because I've had luck this will be my third year going to Edinburgh I've had luck in the past two years to have good audiences and to do uh, you know to feel like my shows had cut through and and this could all bring it crashing down there's no guarantees there's no magic pill there's no there's no maths to it, really. You do what you can, and you make your show as good as you can, and um, then you see what happens. Yesterday, I was in York at the Yorkshire Fringe, and I got a really nice review from that show this morning. When I was in the midst of panicking about my my show in Edinburgh, you know, this thing of just th- saying, "Oh, I know, I think it's good, but good isn't enough. Good is necessary, but not sufficient. You need it to be the kind of thing that sticks in people's head. You need it to be the kind of show that people will walk out and when someone else says, "What have you seen that's good? You're top of mind." And how do you make that? How do you create that? You can't. I mean. Again, it's it's sort of up to the audience whether they like what you do and, and whether they remember what you do and whether they're struck by what you do and whether it connects with them in the way that makes them say to somebody else, oh, you must see this person's show. Uh, I'd, so I was in the midst of a panic about that and I got this very nice review, which is, you know, as all reviews are, just one person's opinion, but it came into my hands, literally into my phone, in my hands at exactly the moment that I needed a slight boost. So that is a good outcome. I came up against my own disorganisation. I got to York and I I checked my emails and I, I wanted to check where I was staying because I, there had been some back and forth with my management here who are wonderful and they would they had said oh we're organizing some accommodation let us know if you want it and I said yes I want it and then there'd been a couple of follow-up emails uh, including one which I read in York uh, that said okay so if you want this room you just send a direct email to this woman and I had not done that I had not I am so I was in York at about seven o'clock at night uh, more like 6 30 my just before my tech run which was 6:45 show starting at 7:15 and I I thought oh no what am I going to do I can't can't go back to London it'll be too late by the time my show's done and I've finished talking to people and uh I what 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 and I went on to Airbnb and I had a little bit of credit in my Airbnb account so I thought I can okay I can 
splash out and get myself a room, you know, but I didn't want to, you know, get a whole flat because that would be a luxury for just one night when I'm literally catching the train immediately in the morning. Uh, even though I'm not very sociable after my shows, I'm not very good at talking to people. Uh, I I normally, after my show, I feel like, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to make sense, but when you're on stage, you're projecting, you, you're putting yourself, uh, or the illusion of self, or whatever it is, you're pushing yourself beyond the boundaries of a normal conversation, you're pushing yourself outside your skin, you're trying to communicate with a large number of people, and so you kind of this is going to sound really wishy-washy, but you're kind of pushing your energy outside your body. And then after the show, you feel like you're a bit exposed. You're kind of hanging out all over the outside and you have to go somewhere quiet and tuck yourself back in. And uh, the Which is sort of a difficult thing, a difficult feeling, because of course the people in your audience, people who've come to see you, friends, family, uh, fans, whatever, you know, people who like your stuff want to have a chat so I can sort of do that because I just think of it as it's a continuation of of the performance to a certain extent not that it's not sincere but it's sort of it's driven by the same energy this is still part of what I'm doing this is still part of of the the whole show and then immediately after that I do not want to talk to anybody Nonetheless, I booked this Airbnb room it was the only one that you could instant book that was in my price range and I did my show and then I went to that Airbnb and I met the guy who was in the Airbnb who was a lovely guy um he was a programmer who is writing a dating book I really wanted to get him on the podcast if I'd had my microphones oh man it was really fascinating uh to talk to him he's very uh very straight down the line guy and he had some very interesting opinions on dating and the relationship between men and women. He had The Game on his bookshelf, The Game by Neil Strauss. If you don't know about it, Google it. It's a controversial book. And so we we ended up talking for about an hour and a half, which was, despite the fact that he was a very pleasant person, too much talking, <laughs> too much talking. You know that feeling sometimes when you're quite tired and you feel like you've gone a little bit cross-eyed? Yeah, I felt like that. I felt like my eyes had crossed completely and, and gone through the back of my head and round again. And so I went into my room and then I realized I hadn't eaten dinner because you're not hungry after the show, you're still on adrenaline. I hadn't eaten dinner, but I was in my room and I worried that if I came out of my room, I would have to talk. <laughs> I would have to be polite and make polite conversation with this very kind person who was letting me stay in his home. Uh, so I just hid in my room. And I think that is, you know, maybe not advisable in terms of how you should run your life. I don't know if that's the right way to go about uh, being a human being in the world. It's, uh, it's a, I don't know, if you... If you know many comedians, some comedians are very extroverted people. They do comedy because they really like uh, engaging with people and they gain energy from those kind of social situations. Others are complete introverts, people who can't really talk except when they're on stage. And others, again, I think are a bit more like me in that you, I'll sort of switch between states. I I like, I like people. Um, I like people in small groups. 
anything above maybe three or four needs to be an audience if that makes sense because an audience counts as one again maybe in my head somehow uh one or one or two people I, I love I love you know this is why my podcast is called tea with Alice I love having tea with people and talking and having in, interesting in-depth conversations conversations that are sort of precluded by the presence of more people the more people you have unless they're an audience again the more people you have on maybe a, a socially equal footing not that you're better than your audience when you're on stage but you are you are other than your audience when you're on stage but if you're just a group of of people then I think your the ability to have really in-depth or interesting challenging conversations where people feel safe to say things that aren't a hundred percent thought through or that sort of evaporates so that's in my experience maybe you have great friends groups of friends of 10 or more who manage to have uh, really risky and elegant debates with one another I haven't had that experience really and uh, I I feel like I've lost the original thread of my point here but for me oh yes introversion and extroversion I like people I will hang out with people and then after a while I sort of need to go away and read a book or go for a walk and listen to a podcast or an audiobook or paint or draw or just be on my own for a little while uh, that's the balance I guess that's how it works if you are new to the podcast this isn't what it normally is normally I sit down and have a cup of tea with someone and before the show if you want to know my little spiel that I do to to whoever is coming in I say just I'm happy for you to talk about things that you are not sure about uh, ideas that you're still wrestling with things that you have an opinion on but it's not necessarily a popular opinion or you're not sure if you stand by it or you do stand by it but you know it's not kind of doesn't fit with your general uh, public persona or your general idea of yourself those are the ideas that I want and if there's anything that you say that you don't like uh, I will cut it out I say that, of course, because I want people to speak freely. And for the most part, people do stand by what they've said. I think partly because I also emphasize that you guys are really, you're good listeners. The emails that I get from you are so incredibly thoughtful. Usually they're, they're long and they're heartfelt. And people who email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com, if you want to, uh, you have you know you have real thoughts and you engage with the podcast in a real way it's not just oh my god girl I love your eyeliner not that there's anything wrong with that but it it's a a really encouraging thing for me and I say that to my guests as well I say that they say oh what if what if you know they're gonna they're gonna stone me they're gonna crucify me if I say this or that and I say no my my guests are my listeners are are great they will listen they'll listen from the beginning to the end they won't take you out of context even if they don't agree with you there's you know they value this environment it's a safe space for dangerous ideas and I do believe that I believe that we need to talk about things sometimes you don't realize how stupid something is until you've said it out loud in front of other people until you've put it out in the world and and gone oh well actually do I stand behind that and I think that that is something that we're missing more and more, that's evaporating more and more. And obviously, obviously there is a, a limit to that. There's a limit to 
you know, what they say, platforming or whether you should give a platform to an idea if it's a toxic idea. But I don't think there are many toxic ideas. I don't think ideas are diseases. I think you can, as Mitch said a couple of episodes ago, you can hold an idea in your head and examine it with intellectual honesty without it you know, rusting other parts of your brain or rusting your integrity to go, well, is it true that... And even if it's a horrible idea, even if it's just a disgusting idea that you can't even touch it with a 10-foot pole is the attitude at the moment, and I don't think it's a useful one. I think you have to look at things clearly, I think. I think everyone... I've said I think a lot now, (laughs) this is me being an idiot, but... You have to examine something straight on. You need to look at it with your with your eyes straight ahead, looking at it with your with clarity. If you are a going to understand it, b really engage with it in order to dismiss it properly. Not just that you know you shouldn't think that, but you know why it's not a good idea. And then also so that you can have some sense of the arguments that can be deployed against it, if indeed it is a, a really toxic or unpleasant or socially damaging idea. Um, that's what I think about that. I, I feel like I wanted to do this solo episode. I do have quite a few in the can, actually have quite a few really lovely podcasts in the can but I felt like I wanted to do a solo episode just before Edinburgh because uh, I'll do one at the end of Edinburgh as well and tell you how it's gone. Uh, I think it's a a really weird thing to do because it's a, a, a lottery, it's a gamble more than most of what I do. I mean obviously being in the arts is a really stupid thing to do in terms of building a stable career it's always you're forced to do this kind of hustle thing where every job is the end of that job unless something else happens out of it or you push for another job so Edinburgh's like that times a million and I think that's maybe why I like it it's it's a really distilled version of the insanity of this whole industry but at the same time everybody's there so you have everybody experiencing the same thing whether you're the the highest of the high or somebody who's just starting out everyone is on the same footing to a certain extent because everybody in that environment their their reach should exceed their grasp everyone's putting their neck on the line a little bit obviously again everyone that's a, a very normative statement there are people who will do well guaranteed Daniel Kitson or or Daniel Sloss, all the Daniels, uh, they're guaranteed to have an audience. But again, they're wanting, they're pushing themselves artistically. They'll probably be pushing the size of their room or the the time slot or the length. Or it's a place that maybe that's why I like Edinburgh. Maybe that's why I like the Edinburgh. It's a it's a place that that makes it okay to really 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 extend yourself to go beyond your comfort zone and in that way it's like tea with Alice it's a safe space for failure if you fail in Edinburgh that's fine everybody fails in Edinburgh but you know the vast majority of people will have at least one show where they're just 
they just hit rock bottom in terms of what they wanted versus what they achieved. They'll have an audience size that is devastating. They'll have that moment in the festival where they realize they're not going to make their money back or they're not going to make as much money as they'd hoped or they're going to lose money or or they're not going to get that TV person in or they're not going to get the review from The Guardian or the review from The Guardian will be two and a half stars or worse, three. <laughs> I think maybe that's why I like it. I think... I think that is. I hadn't thought about it like that before. Thank you for letting me talk to myself into that particular longbow analogy. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask in this podcast was I wanted to ask if I should do a video blog because I've been talking about this for a little while uh, in terms of doing video content for you and I filmed some back in Melbourne and that will be I will get back onto editing that when I'm back in Australia. But the question would be, would anyone be interested in me? I, I blogged last year. Blogged. Ugh. I, I journaled. I, I recorded last year a sort of a daily Edinburgh thing, uh, saying what I'd seen and what I'd done and what it was like and w with some photos. And I did that the year before as well. I plan to do that this year as well. It's just a nice record. It's a nice tracking device for me and also uh, people who enjoyed reading it. I'm wondering if you would like me to do a video version of that. It wouldn't be very edited. I'm not going to have the time to do that, but just a sort of a straight-to-camera piece, which is why I wanted to ask you in the context of this straight-to-recorder podcast. It would be a relatively short little rundown, just me in whatever state of dishevelment I, I would be pre or post show. So if you would like to see that, let me know at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, or Alice R. Fraser at gmail.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, which I never plug. Uh, I don't know why. I, I think I assume people can find you on Facebook by looking at, for you on Facebook, and if that's the kind of thing you want to do, uh, do that. I also found out that I had the wrong... Um, email address for my management, my UK management up on my website when somebody went around and contacted me directly and I had the the email address for the assistant of my manager who has now left and is working for my promotions people so she's still <coughs> she's still on the team but uh, the emails were going to nowhere so if you've tried to email my UK management in the last three weeks um, you would not have been able to do that. That's sorry. Uh, email me directly at alicerfraser at gmail dot com if you want to contact me directly, or you can go via the website, uh, which is also I don't I don't know why you would do that instead of emailing me directly unless you didn't know my email address, which you do because I say it all the time, all the time on this podcast. I. Uh, is there anything that you'd like me to talk about in these? I will be doing, I think now, given the feedback from the first one and assuming this doesn't tank that, I'll be doing one every, say, five weeks, maybe six weeks, a solo podcast, and uh, I would be happy to discuss my ideas on any issue uh, if I have ideas on that. I won't talk about things that I don't think about or care about because I feel like that would be boring it would be boring for you it would be boring for me but I 
if it's something that I haven't thought about uh, yet, and it is an interesting subject, I'll turn my mind to it. I'm not going to... I only have my hobby horses. I'm not going to do that. I, that. I will I will listen to you and I will engage with your ideas. So email me or hit me up on Twitter if there's some particular subject that you would like to hear my thoughts on for whatever reason that you would think that my thoughts would be interesting. I read a really, really interesting article the other day by a friend of mine who is a sex worker and she was talking about the pressure that she feels well a couple of things and I will um, let me find her it was linked on her Instagram so that's very very modern of of me getting it that way and this is the sound of me talking at the same time as looking something up uh, her name is Rita Therese Rita underscore Therese underscore and she's on she's on Twitter she has 47,000 followers which is a lot more followers than I have about 46,000 more followers than I have so uh, it's more likely that you would have seen her doing this or read her article and you don't necessarily need me to tell you about it anyway she she writes a, a blog and she was talking about as a sex worker how she finds it difficult to have relationships and you know serious long-term I guess monogamous at least emotionally monogamous relationships while being a sex worker and uh, how she feels a pressure from the sex work community never to express the negative sides of sex work uh, that that it's seen as a sort of a betrayal of the sisterhood, of the uh, very difficult fight that those women are fighting to have sex work seen as real work, just like other work. And I think that's a really interesting thing. So I want to kind of unpack my thoughts on this. Again, I'm not 100% sure what I think, but I, I'm not sure that sex work is like other work. I don't know whether that's just because of the social environment, in which case it's not perceived as like other work and therefore it isn't, and the, sort of unpacking that perception will render it very normal and much like any other job. You could say, I'm a lawyer, I'm a sex worker, and it won't, it won't be seen as a vastly sort of different quality of work. Uh, or if it is something that is inherent to uh, intimate physical work, that there's something about sex that is uh, that can't, or that shouldn't, or that is more difficult to commodify in a way that doesn't affect people's feelings. I don't know. I I do think that a more interesting sort of angle on this a less contentious one because this is something that you can't really know about you don't know scientifically what part of the negative perceptions of sex work are socialized whether there is something very special about sex particularly for women you know particularly for penetrative sex like you, we don't know how much of that is is socialized how much of that is biological that it's that it is something special because you're taking this risk with your future the risk of pregnancy or STDs or whatever and that you're 
body recognizes that somehow and so the emotional impact of sex work is higher than the emotional impact of something else I don't know or all of that could just be you know the bible and social norms and ownership of women but because we can't sort of assess that in any kind of real way unless we unpack social norms and then build them up again in a more more rational way not just through habit and and custom and and religion uh, then we won't know that so aside putting that aside I think the interesting thing was her sense that she couldn't articulate negative things about uh, the impact of sex work on her life because she feared alienating the activists of whom she is one of the group of people who are fighting for the rights of sex workers that to say anything negative might undermine the cause and that is interesting because I think that is happening a lot so if you listen to Sam Harris you will understand the criticism that he constantly is constantly leveled at him and the distinction that he's constantly trying to make that he is criticizing uh, Islam the ideas in the religion he's not attacking Muslims and the oppositional argument to that is that you cannot in the environment that we're in the social environment that we're in you can't criticize Islam without giving fodder to Islamophobes that you can't say anything negative or critical about uh, the right side you know that that anybody who is or any sort of cause which is just cannot also have problems Uh, this kind of whole package of thinking has come in with with the use of the term problematic as a dismissive term rather than uh, an a term of oh well we should engage with this if someone calls something problematic nowadays what they mean is rubbish shit the worst not good uh, not to be trusted uh, lacking integrity something other than what it pretends to be it's become a whole thing so in the same way you can't criticize uh, third wave feminism without being seen as being against women or against the feminist cause or against progress you can't criticize uh, Peter without being seen as against animal rights I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going off track here but you get the idea that I'm trying to trying to wrestle with here anyway I just thought it was a really interesting article that she wrote and I thought it pointed to a broader a broader thing I don't know if that's just a human nature thing I don't know if that's modern or something that has existed for many 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 years but the idea we're very bad at at we're very bad at separating a feature from the whole maybe but then of course I don't want to be arguing for complete compartmentalization because then you could say well he's a rapist but he's a great football player which we seem to be able to do or but yeah let me know what you think let me know let me know what you think it's hard I'm just staring at a tree out the window while I'm doing this so it's hard asking a tree 
It makes me realize how many of my ideas are formed in the micro-expressions of an interlocutor, even a, a silent interlocutor. Maybe I need a producer to just sit in the room and stare at me while I do solo episodes. But then I would be tempted to bring them in to the podcast. I think this does really work best uh, when there is somebody else and me and my cup of tea. The cup of tea I I'm drinking at the moment, by the way, is Rubos Vanilla, which is a very nice tea the kind of tea that tastes like it has sweetness in it even though it's not I'm trying to not eat sugar during Edinburgh and good luck with that Fraser it's not going to be easy I think I will fail but I also think that it's worth trying things even if you know you're going to fail that's a, a, a great goal aim for perfection you'll get closer to it than you would if you never tried at all but you'll never get there you can accept both of those things right Anyway, that's it for me this week. That's enough of the trees starting to look bored. <laughs> if you are in Edinburgh, uh, send friends, come along yourself. 10pm in the Gilded Balloon, starting on the 2nd of August, going through to the 27th of August every night, except the 14th. Uh, and I will be doing a uh, London Empire, one a night only at this point, in the... Camden Comedy Club in Camden Camden Head I think on the 9th on the 9th of September I will confirm that on the Twitter at alliterative A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E -E. email me say hello uh, I will be surrounded by people in Edinburgh but I can always use a little bit of support in that also oh speaking of support Patreon of course I've been forgetting to plug patreon if you are a subscriber it is absolutely fantastic it's, it's just a wonderful thing it gives me the freedom to do these podcasts the time the editing time getting my guests in paying for the tea paying for the the downloads and uh, putting together this new video content that i'll be bringing out uh, it also lets me kind of expand occasionally get new mics save up to do that and i'm going to the la podcast festival and it will help with that so this is all wonderful if you subscribe on the patreon if you're on the five dollar subscription level you can get the resistance um which is my last solo show uh, and also the video content as it comes out i everything else is free on that you can just subscribe without paying any money if you like although i will occasionally do a one dollar post which is for one dollar and above subscribers uh, i had a, a really nice email from somebody who said they're giving uh, four dollars a month one dollar per episode which is lovely a couple of dollars an episode or a couple of dollars a month makes a huge difference to me and it's just it makes a difference to me both financially <laughs> obviously but also emotionally it makes me feel really um, supported and like what I do is worth something so thank you so much for that if you don't subscribe it is fine uh, it, like it would be great but you don't have to if you can't subscribe but you still want access to those posts if you can't afford a dollar a month uh, then email me and uh, we'll figure something out because at that point uh, you you could use a hand from me more than I could use a hand from you that's all for this week I will uh, have a, pod a podcast for you next week in the more traditional style having tea with another human being and uh, not talking to a tree <laughs> see you next week you're having tea with Alice